see if we get this mic going. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we're gathering in your name, Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that your presence be known and felt here this morning and in all the places where people are joining us through live stream. We love you. We need you. And so as we open up the scriptures this morning, we pray that you would illuminate the truths that you have for us, that you would enable us to hear from you, our Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Again, music team. Well, Yahoo! Uh, Yahoo! Uh, it, let's celebrate. Um, you know, the, the future is bright and promising. Uh, that could be a great way to start a new sermon series. And to be honest, um, as a new uh, incoming pastor... I would love to start that way, with enthusiasm and optimism and fireworks. Uh, but if I were to do that, I think I would be taking a shortcut and ignoring some of where many of you are actually at these days. Some of the challenges and some of the struggles and some of the difficulties that we've experienced over the course of this last year, presently or even in the past. It's good to see people here. It's good to see you. Some people have, during this uh, last year, have been working. They've been uh, in the grocery stores and in the hospitals and in the various places, and they have been working through this time. And it has been challenging and difficult because systems have been changing and Protocols have been changing, and it's been rapid and constant in that regard. And then we have people that have not been working. They've lost their job, a small business, whatever the case may be, and they're not. They're actually at home, or maybe they've just been isolated and, and stuck at home. And maybe uh, you're a parent or a guardian, and you have uh, some children, and you've been trying to figure out, okay, first they go to school, then they don't go to school, and then they yes and no, and then maybe it's part-time or half-time or this age group or that age group, and you're just trying to figure out what's going on. And frankly, a lot of parents or guardians are just exhausted. And uh, well, speaking of which, the students, uh, this last year in school has been difficult. And if you've been writing tests, maybe a lot of them have had to be online. Exams online. It's crazy. And then we have the, those that are graduating, and oh, and then people are looking for jobs. Students after school, whether it's high school or university or, or people that were out of work and now we were job hunting, and all of this is just a bit of a glimpse into the COVID pandemic context, the realities of what this last year has been like. And you're kind of walking around and you're wondering, what is this weight that I'm feeling? It kind of comes uh, uh, uninvited, 
It can come at any time. It's unannounced. And it, at times, it feels kind of heavy. It, it's like a wave. It, it just comes and then it goes. Sometimes it's a big wave of weight, a kind of a heaviness. Sometimes it's a small, and the frequency, who knows? And you wonder to yourself, like, what's actually going on? I'm in my living room. I'm not standing at the water. But these waves, this, this heaviness keeps coming back and forth. And we're, I mean, if we're just speaking really just transparently here, we've been experiencing a lot of different losses. We've lost routines. We've lost predictability. Uh, if you're a student, I mean, you were hoping for a certain kind of a grad. I know Tosh and her team put a pretty wonderful uh, celebration together on the weekend. But, but you know, it was kind of like, well, we were hoping for field trips. We were hoping for band concerts. There were certain sports things that we were wanting to do. And for adults, it was kind of like, you know what? I'd settle for just being able to eat together. I'd settle for getting out of my house and going to somebody else's. I'd like to just have some people over. Kimberly and I moved to a house with the expectation that there would be people coming over to our place. Because if not, the place is too big. But we're hoping. So we've, we've experienced all these kinds of, of, of losses. And, and so what we feel from time to time is stress or strain. But what we're really experiencing, to put a word, to put a name on it, what we are experiencing is a form of sadness. What we are experiencing is grief. It's grief. And grief isn't relegated to the funeral service or the hospital room. We all experience grief. Uh, regardless of, of age or ethnicity, uh, whether it's from this pandemic circumstance or whether it's from the realities of life that you're, you've been experiencing. And we all experience grief, ethnicity, age, gender, it doesn't matter, social economic strata, whether you're educated or finance, finances, it doesn't matter. We experience grief. But what's interesting is it's also personal. Because your circumstances and the next person's circumstances are somewhat different. They're unique. But even when we share a common circumstance, we experience it differently. And sometimes this grief can be disorienting. It, it can be, uh, uh, we can feel anger or alienation. We feel alone. And it seems like it's bad because it is. It's like being in a room where you've lost some things, but you also have all these different thoughts and feelings, and they're cluttering up your room. And so not only are there things that you've lost, but you're in this cluttered room of your mind with all these thoughts and these feelings. And so you actually want out of the room. You want out of the circumstances. 
So we do. We long. There's a longing. There's a longing for a better circumstance, for a better situation. We're longing for that. And the question that we're going to look into in this the coming weeks is, how do we cope then with our pandemic emotions, our thoughts and our feelings? How do we cope with those pandemic emotions? And maybe these are emotions that are there regardless of whether it's a pandemic or not. And some people make the mistake of spouting out um, these, these pithy phrases or these platitudes like, well, just get over it. Or, well, it's no big deal. Or, I can fix that. Or sometimes if we're kind of, air quotes, religious, we might, you know, jump quickly to these optimistic passages like, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, which is from Jeremiah. But that passage has a context. And if we just jump to that and pull it out of its context... We, we ignore the circumstance of that passage, but also we discount and we ignore what's actually going on in people's lives. We dismiss what's going on. But here's the good news, friends, is that the Lord has a particular posture and a particular response in the midst of our longing and our lament. He has a particular way, and His way is actually shocking. It's at least as shocking as it is encouraging, and that's what will make it and does make it hope-filled. And so during the coming weeks, starting with this morning, we're going to allow Jeremiah to be our trail guide. And we're going to begin in a few chapters of Lamentation, which actually is the context for these more optimistic passages in the chapters in Jeremiah, which then we will get to as well. And with Jeremiah as our guide, we will learn about our Lord and His posture and His relationship to us. And we will learn more about how to relate to Him, especially when we're balancing this longing and also this lament. So it begins this morning in Lamentations with this, this phrase, how? 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 How could you? How could this happen? How could you, Lord? How, Lord? Sefer Echach is the Hebrew phrase for the book of Lamentations. Sefer Echach. And it means the book of how. Or the whale of how. The book of Lamentations is actually poetry. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew language. And each verse in Lamentations begins with a different Hebrew letter. And when we get to chapter 3, there are five chapters. When we get to chapter 3 in the middle of the book, it repeats, it is the longest chapter, and it repeats this 22 uh, pattern three times. 
Another interesting thing in this poetry is that the beginning of the book of this book of how starts off, the passages, the verses are, are quite large and, and strong. But by the time we get to chapter 5, there's only, the, 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 the verses have diminished, the stanzas have diminished, and it's like the poet Jeremiah is like running out of breath. And they're shorter, and they're more brief. You can go to our website, to the sermon section there, and you can see a little more information about this. And we're going to be posting information that isn't part of the worship service. We'll be posting it there. So you're welcome to check that out as well. So Babylon was the army that was beyond fierce. And they were the ones that conquered and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And they were notorious. So that's what's going on here at the beginning of Lamentation. They were notorious for actually burning the field and then dumping salt on the field so nothing could grow there afterwards. Literally scorching the ground. And that's what happened. And so there was smoke and there was smell and there were, there were cries and wails that I'm sure kept ringing on in, in uh, Jeremiah's ears long after the people had been carted off or killed. And so here he is, Jeremiah, having seen and witnessed all of this. He's the one who wrote Lamentations. Lamentation indeed. And so he begins writing in this poetic form to express his perspective, but also he gives voice to the people and the experience that they went through. And so this morning, we're going to read chapter 1. And as we do, I want to invite you to listen. You can, if you're joining us by live stream, you can go to the sermon section of the website and pull that sermon supplement from there. You have one in your bulletin. There's a few questions that will help as you listen to what we're going to hear this morning through Lamentations 1. Consider, what is the imagery that's being given to us? What is the complaint that's being voiced? What is the view of God? What is the primary request? What are they asking as we read Lamentation chapter 1. Let's listen together. How lonely sits the city that once was full of people. How like a widow she has become. She that was great among the nations. She that was a princess among the provinces has become a vassal. She weeps bitterly in the night with tears on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she has no one to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They have become her enemies. Judah has gone into exile with suffering and hard servitude. She lives now among the nations and finds no resting place. Her pursuers have all overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads to Zion mourn, for no one comes to the festivals. All her gates are desolate, her priests groan, her young girls grieve, and her lot is bitter. 
Her foes have become the masters. Her enemies prosper because the Lord has made her suffer for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone away, captives before the foe. From daughter Zion has departed all her majesty. Her princes have become like stags that find no pasture. They fled without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembers... In the days of her affliction and wandering, all the precious things that were hers in days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the foe and there was no one to help her, the foe looked on mocking over her downfall. Jerusalem sinned grievously, so she has become a mockery. All who honored her despise her, for they have seen her nakedness. She herself groans and turns her face away. Her uncleanness was in her skirts. She took no thought of her future. Her downfall was appalling with none to comfort her. O oh Lord, look at my affliction, for the enemy has triumphed. Enemies have stretched out their hands over all her precious things. She has even seen the nations invade her sanctuary. Those whom you forbade to enter your congregation. All her people groan as they search for bread. They trade their treasures for food to revive their strength. Look, O oh Lord, and see how worthless I have become. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which was brought upon me, which the Lord inflicted on the day of his fierce anger. From on high he sent fire. It went deep into my bones. He spread a net for my feet. He turned me back. He has left me stunned, faint, all day long. My transgressions were bound into a yoke. By his hand they were fastened together. They weigh on my neck, sapping my strength. The Lord handed me over to those whom I cannot withstand. The Lord has rejected all my warriors in the midst of me. He proclaimed a time against me to crush my young men. The Lord has trodden, as in a winepress, the virgin daughter Judah. For these things I weep. My eyes flow with tears. For a comforter is far from me, one to revive my courage. My children are desolate, for the enemy has prevailed. Zion stretches out her hands but there is no one to comfort her. The Lord has commanded against Jacob that his neighbors should become his foes. Jerusalem has become a filthy thing among them. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word. But hear, all you peoples, and behold my suffering. My young women and young men have gone into captivity. I called to my lovers, but they deceived me. My priests and elders perished in the city while seeking food to revive their strength. See, O oh Lord, how distressed I am. My stomach churns, my heart is wrung within me, because I have been very rebellious. In the street the sword bereaves, in the house it is like death. They heard how I was groaning, with no one to comfort me. All my enemies heard of my trouble. They are glad that you have done it. Bring on the day you have announced, and let them be as I am. Let all their evil doing come before you, 
and deal with them as you have dealt with me because of all my transgressions. For my groans are many and my heart is faint. Whew. Jerusalem, the city, the gates, the roads, personified as a widow, as a princess, as a virgin, personified by this extended metaphor, Jerusalem as a, a female in dresses and skirts, but devolving from a princess to a prostitute. And the primary complaint that she has is being forsaken, being left alone, being abandoned, devastated and drowning deeper in what she even feels is betrayal. There's no one. There's no one. And the view of God, this is interesting, the view of God that she has at this time of all of this stress and, 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 and anger is that God is angry. She perceives that God is, is negative and, and hostile and angry, that he's the one that's been inflicting the pain, that he's been the one that's handed her over to her enemies. That's her perspective of, of God, her view of God. But then she also feels like somehow God is both angry and he's also this kind of judge. He's an angry judge who, who somehow is right to do that. But then she says, well, since you're pounding me, you also pound my enemies. And then she also has this perspective that God is also a forgiving God, that somehow he's the place to go to for forgiveness. And so we can see how this, this devastation and all this difficulty can really disorient us and disoriented her and disoriented the people. And what she asks for, her primary request, what she asks for, she says it five times, is comfort. Comfort. But it's a particular kind of comfort. It's a comfort that comes through presence. It's a comfort that comes through being with. And even more particularly, the kind of presence that hears her, the kind of presence that sees her. Because when, when that presence sits quietly alongside and sees and actually hears, that registers as truly caring. Because there is another kind of presence that's quite the contrary. Oh, she says others are present, but they're present to mock. They're present to put down or tease or be a head over top of or put in place or coerce or force. 
But there's a different kind of presence, a comfort that comes through sitting with and listening and seeing and hearing. This is a real circumstance. It actually happened. But it's given to us and it's articulated in this poetic form, this poetic allegory, because it is also able to be lifted from its historic moorings. And because of this poetry, it can reach beyond the history and reach to us today and is compelling, remains compelling to us today. women were treated horribly in that era and they still are treated horribly today uh, I, I read a, a Statistics Canada report it was uh, put out in 2017 and they reported that 22 out of 1,000 people that they talked with self-reported sexual assault 22 out of every thousand. So this was uh, statistics from 2014. So they extrapolated, based on the population of that time, they extrapolated that that would be about 636,000 people in our country. That's self-reported. And among those that were most hard done by were women, young people, indigenous people, single people, and people that identified as gay. And what's also shocking is that the perpetrators were more often than not, they were friends or acquaintances or neighbors more so than strangers. So the, the context of being victims and, and, and women is, is horrible, but also the pandemic itself has been very difficult this past year. Anxiety is on the rise. Depression is on the rise. Right? And we wonder, where do we go with this pain? And I'm not speaking only about the pandemic. It's, it's also just circumstances of life. And it's men and women. It's young people. It's uh, single people. It's seniors that are shut in and having to be forced to be quiet. And where do we go with this pain? What happens when devastation befalls? What happens when this devastation befalls? Because people are struggling in their lives. And they are. Many people feel abandoned or forsaken or forgotten or left behind. Sometimes it's even by the church. Or maybe it's God. And they feel this way. Nobody notices. Nobody's present. Maybe nobody cares. And whether they're a single person or a widow or whether they're divorced or whether there's a sickness or a crisis in the family. And so accusing God is very familiar. We can get angry at God. Well, he caused it. He's handed me over to this. But is that what we know about God as revealed in Jesus the Son? Is that really what we know about him and how he relates to us? 
what we can do perhaps is, since that makes sense, but what we can acknowledge is that difficulty and challenges can muddle our thinking. That challenges and crisis and difficulty actually challenge our understanding of who God is. It challenges, it tests our theology. And you know what's so brilliant about what we just read in that whole chapter? Is that God doesn't say a word. He doesn't jump in there and attempt to defend himself. He doesn't say snap out of it or you idiot or any of that. Rather, he is quiet and he listens. He's quiet and he listens to the lament. He opens up space and allows that to come out. In fact, he even wears the accusations. Those misconceived ideas, oh, God did this and and all of that, and he wears it. He allows that to come to him, and he wears it. Because whether it is right or wrong, his love is so profound. He understands, he sees the circumstance, and he understands that lament is so right and makes so much sense under the circumstance that his love allows that space to be opened and for Jerusalem, for her and for the people to talk with him and to him. Like a daughter pounding the chests of a steady, waiting father before she finally collapses into her chair as dad waits patiently and peacefully. When devastation befalls, our Lord is present with us. And he opens up the space and he begins with listening to us. Opening up space and allowing us to speak with him and to be with him. Lament is a very real part of life, especially when difficulty arrives and when devastation befalls. Because life is muddy. And some have gone to church their whole lives and then they find themselves in a crisis. And you wonder. And the Lord opens up the space and allows you. He comes and sits with you and allows us to lament. Because, friends, lament is a way of reclaiming our humanity because it breaks through the denial. It breaks through the denial that something difficult is going on, and it breaks through and establishes a real relationship with a very real God in the midst of a very real circumstance. It doesn't gloss over. 
You don't have to put a fake face on with the Lord. Lament is honesty before him and before each other. It doesn't create the pain. It actually reveals it. You know, too often we are culpable of rushing too quickly to speak. Or we're too culpable of, of saying harmful things. Or spouting nonsense, dressed up as wisdom. That's not the way of the Lord. I want to invite the music team to come uh, back to the platform this morning. And I want to describe for you how the Lord interacts with us in the midst of our lament and our longing. I want to describe it for you so that you gain an understanding and visibility into the Lord and His heart and His posture and relationship to us. But also, if we are followers of Jesus, then as I am describing how He relates to us, then as followers of Jesus, we emulate that same way when we relate to other people. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm going to describe how the Lord relates to us. But as followers of Jesus, understanding that, then we understand how we emulate how we relate to other people in the same way that he relates to us. And the first is presence. Being with somebody. Being with another person whether it's a high schooler who's had a hard time and you see them in the hallway by the lockers, whether it's someone in a grocery store aisle or whether it's in your backyard, but being with. The Lord is with us. It's actually one of his names, Emmanuel. I am with you. He wants to be with us. He is with us presence. And I know there's a hesitation sometimes when someone's going through something difficult and then it's kind of nerve-wracking to think to go and be with somebody because you think that you have to say something, you have to know something, you have to have a certain amount of wisdom. But friends, presence already speaks volumes. That's why everything changed when the Father sent the Son to be present because that already changed. You don't have to know anything. The Lord said to the disciples, don't worry about what to say, I will give it to you present. Be present. That's your present. The second that the Lord does is that he listens. He is actively listening. He listens. He hears us. He invites us to talk to him, even if it's lament, even if we're messed up and we get it kind of wrong or whatever. He hears us and he listens. He wants to listen. He invites us to talk with him. You know, I have two daughters. Kimberly and I have two daughters in Ontario. And uh, it's too far right now, especially during this pandemic. But we message them and we say, hey, can we talk? Because you know what? I just want to hear you. We could talk about anything. 
I don't really even, you know, but tell, tell me what your day was like because I want to hear you. I'm just a, an earthly father. Our heavenly father wants to hear from us, especially in those times when things are difficult. He listens. You know, there's a misconception that sharing something traumatic, listen to me, there's a misconception that sharing something traumatic actually um, exaggerates or, or exacerbates the trauma, that it, 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 it swells the trauma, but it's not true. We actually need to speak. The Lord knows that. This creates the space because, friends, we have all of these thoughts and these feelings in our minds. That's part of what emotions are, thoughts and feelings. And they are rattling around and they're crowding our life and our mind. And so when we speak, we can get them out into a way that they can be dealt with once and for all. Finally, they can be dealt with. You can't beam out of this room that you're in with all of this. The Lord knows that. So he says, look, let's talk and I want to listen to you because then we can begin to make our way out of this room and get it cleaned up before we move to the next. So presence, he listens, and then this is the most amazing and profound thing that the Lord does, is that he empathizes with us. What that means is that he actually identifies with us. Empathy, I believe, is one of the highest forms of love. Tosh talks a lot about empathy. She wants to identify with the youth and the young adults. Hanukkah, empathizing, identifying with that person. The reason it's such a high call of love is because it's self-sacrifice. It says, I put myself down and I enter into and trying to understand the other person and actually identify with what they're going on. Not choosing whether I like or dislike, agree or not. Even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself taking on the form of a slave and being found in human form. I mean, that's empathy. That's empathy. This is our Lord. He's with us. He's listening. And He's identifying with us. So, let hope Begin to flicker.